Yeah, I could say maybe not the time portion because there are some people that have been in the party as long as I have. Yeah. Since what? Three or four, five years now. And they're and they're still they're the changed. same. No, they're they not though. Changed. They haven't changed. No growth whatsoever. They're still the same person. You're like, read Murray. Oh, okay. And then they never read Murray. And I'm like, okay, yeah. apparently you're not getting this, right? So, like, <laughs> I mean, and they like, and sometimes you'll see them walking around with the book. And I'd be like, well, you can't get it through osmosis. You got to read it. it. Like, They're walking around with it. <laughs> Wait a minute. You can't? That's the only way I read anything anymore. <laughs> Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my Ray of Truth, the beautiful Miss Rayleigh Lightheart. Hello, hello. Hi, Johnny. Hey, Rayleigh. How's it going? I am having so much fun. Uh, my kids are all home on homeschooling vacation, though, so we're not doing a whole lot of homeschooling. It's so much Wait a fun. Minute. Wait a minute. Homeschooling vacation. How does that work yeah. out? Like, that, that is like the coolest thing ever. How does that work? They, it is. So, like, it's, they normally don't go anywhere. Unschooling. Yeah, so they <laughs> Yeah, so they don't do anything at home all the time, right? And they have to do their studying and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, they're like, nope, we're going to be at home, but just not study for two weeks. Yep. So, video games with a lot of reading and um, a lot of board games and a lot of things like that. So, we're doing educational things in completely different ways and uh, no doing math drills. It's It's wonderful. I love it. That is awesome. You know, this is the first time, I think, for me here where I'm, I'm actually kind of bored like I, every you know like a little vacation time because i have off time right now and it's crazy because i do not have anything to do like i've been doing some like <laughs> stupid shit. like you know i'm actually reading i have time to read a book and i've been reading like uh uh god what, what, contra krugman guy bob murphy his oh. book choice and it's great yeah. it's a fantastic book i was just like it's human action but broken down into like modern english nice so it's it's, it's fantastic book so i'm actually have time to read a book and sit around and drink and smoke and not really do anything. It's wonderful. I'm enjoying it and it's it's been a great holiday season. So, all right, Raylene, are you ready to bring out our guest? Yeah. Okay, Mark Montoni is a longtime libertarian activist and current chair of the Libertarian Party Radical Caucus. Inspired by the 1980 presidential run of the Libertarian Party's peace candidate, Ed Clark, Montoni joined the Libertarian Party and has been a member and participant since. In his 40 years with the party, Montoni has held a variety of roles within the Libertarian Party of Virginia, including chair and secretary of the state executive committee. In addition, Montoni, alongside Susan Hogarth of North Carolina and Polly Frankel of Alabama, co-founded the Libertarian Radical Caucus, an organization within the National Party that is often referred to as the Libertarian Wing of the Libertarian Party. An outspoken anarcho-capitalist, Montoni currently serves as the chair of the LPRC. Okay, Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot, Raylene. Are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Mark Montoni! Hey 
hear something about cold beer? Uh, hell yeah, we have cold beer right here, man. Have some. Have some. Awesome. <laughs> That's how we roll here, man. We don't leave the launch pad without having a cold beer. And, awesome. Uh, hey, dude, thank you so much for being here. And, man, this is great. So, I have. I guess the ultimate question is, you know, we have a lot of people who are not in the party who listen to the show. People who are not in any political organization whatsoever. So, I guess the most obvious question, maybe it isn't obvious to you, but what the f- is a caucus? And what is the deal with the Libertarian Radical Caucus? And what is the function and purpose of a caucus within a party? A caucus is a group of members who organize around a particular idea or a set of ideas within a political party. Okay. Within a political party, there may be some disagreement on various issues. And sometimes uh, people will join together in a group to try and advance their position, their interpretation of that party's uh, ideology, uh-huh. uh, you know, ar- around what they're what they're trying to get at. Okay. Uh, so there's the there's the radical caucus within the Libertarian Party. There's uh, there's one or two abortion caucuses, uh, Libertarians for Life. Um, there's a pragmatist caucus and uh, a number of other ones. Libertarian nihilist caucus. I don't know how serious they are, but yeah. <laughs> there, there's a number of them. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, what is it exactly? Does it mean to be radical? And why is it so important to a movement to have radicals and their specific brand of messaging forge the path to changing culture? Radical simply means to go to the root. And that's what we do. We go to the root of the, of libertarian ideas. We want a consistent uh, interpretation or a consistent vision of libertarianism to be presented by the party. Uh-huh. Where a, I guess you would call it a more mainstream Libertarian Party member would say, don't talk about legalization or ending prohibition. We say, yes, you need to talk about it. That's where our market is. There are people out there who already are with us on that issue. We need to go get them. The only way to go get them is by talking about that issue, but but directly, not beating around the bush, saying, you know, we're going to get elected to office first, and then we're going to change the the law from within once we're already elected. It doesn't work that way. Right. At right. least that's at least that's what we believe. Yeah, you know, real fast, Johnny, I wanted to say that uh, the Democrats have done a really good job at using their radical members or radical ideology to further the agenda to kind of get the middle, you know, the middle people dragging them up to a more progressive stance. And I think that the libertarians should be doing that too. Well, that's true. The one of the things that the far left does is they they kind of plow the earth before the Democrats. They, <laughs> okay, that's cool. They're, they're they're the ones who do the outrageous things, who uh-huh. say the outrageous things that uh, the mainstream Democrats just don't want to say. But then coming behind those radical Democrats are the the Democratic legislators who wind up actually putting some of those ideas into law. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny though, too. They like most people would probably be like, "Well, those guys ain't you no; know, those guys are crazy." But you know what? Those guys seem pretty reasonable, even though their ideas are just as crazy as these, you know, the radicals of the left or whatever party. I mean, the socialists or the commies, as I like to call them, you know, they'll come out there with all these crazy ideas, the you know, Antifa and all this stuff that's going on, their riots and all that. And then all of a sudden, they'll pass some stupid legislation, and it's usually some like you were saying. It seems a lot more reasonable what these other people are doing. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's interesting. That's what we need to be doing. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the reasons why I don't think it'll particularly work for us is 
that we libertarianism starts out as a rather revolutionary uh, political movement, mm-hmm. and if you're trying to gather people towards your banner, towards the libertarian banner, you're not going to do it by doing the the, the slow sale, the the I'll, I'll do it later after I get elected kind of thing. You can't do it that way. We're we're in recruitment mode right now. At least that's what my opinion is. We're in recruitment mode now, and if we're going to attract the 30, 40, 50 million people who are basically libertarian at heart, mm-hmm. you have to get out there and say what they're thinking until one day you happen to you know, find a, a few of these people sitting in an audience where you're in a debate or something, and you're saying your radical things, your, your outlandish things that the, the other two guys won't touch with a 10-foot pole. Sure. And... You're speaking to those two or three guys in the or or ladies in the back of the hall who are saying, "Wait a minute, wait a minute. This is what I've been thinking for twenty years. Well, I didn't know there was a name for this." Exactly. Yeah. So that's 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 why we're organized as the Radical Caucus because we think the Libertarian Party needs to speak that way. We need to speak directly to those people. Right. And here's the thing, though. And the thing I have a problem with is I wish there would have been somebody in the beginning who was telling me radical libertarian ideas. I had to find these out later. In the beginning of the season, you know, I was like, I was like, Gary Johnson's pretty cool. This guy's pretty cool. I like, you know, Judge Jim Gray, all these guys. I mean, they weren't radicals by any means, but in a, in a sense, I feel like I've been lied to in regards to what libertarianism is because they self-serve the message so much that it was just like, libertarianism isn't about being fiscally conservative and socially liberal. That isn't what libertarianism is. And I feel like, why don't we just get the message out there in its purest form and then we'll actually keep and retain real libertarians if we do that instead of trying to trick people or fool them into thinking libertarian is something that it isn't. Well, I think one of the reasons that uh, some people think that we should soft sell or hide the message is that they don't want to scare away voters. Unfortunately, voters are very shallow as a group. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and if you win them one year, you lose them the next year. You, I mean, we've all heard the term swing voters. Right. And that's because they have no consistent principle. We don't need the average voter. We're not after the average voter, and we're never going to win the average voter. Mm-hmm. We are after the exceptional voters who are already noodling this uh, in the back of their brains mm-hmm. and, and trying to think it through. They need to hear it. They need to hear it without any uh, hemming and hawing or or soft selling or any of that right i'm with you so i was wondering what your origin story was because you're kind of mysterious um how did you oh find libertarianism you are, yes, yes. <laughs> he's, he's like hiding in the shadows as you ask this question Rayleigh. well i'm gonna just tell you a little story real fast i became a fan of yours specifically when i was watching a huge fight on arvin vora's post one time and i was on there commenting and you liked my comment and you wrote underneath it come to nala and I saw you actively recruiting from the comments of a controversial post, and I thought it was amazing. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I wondered, how did you find libertarianism? When did you join the party? Um, and then, you know, how you became, were you a radical before that, or did you become a radical? I came to libertarianism from the left. My oh, wow. Fam- my, yes, my family, my mother and father were both beholden to the state for their living. And, of course, they were very leftist, both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1980, a friend of mine named Willie Ferguson was walking one way down my high school hall and I was walking the other way. And as I'm passing him, he hands his book to me and it's the fountainhead. And he said, here, Montoni, I think you'd like this. And 
That was in the spring of 1980, and it made me think. Mm-hmm. And as as soon as I had had that, practically as soon as I had had that experience with that book, I heard Ed Clark's five minute infomercial on election eve 1980, and I called the liber- the, the number that was uh, on the screen. This is back before the internet. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, and, that, God, that was a long time ago. Go ahead. Uh, yes. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I actually spoke with someone who was a libertarian. It was a woman. I don't remember her name, uh, but I, I'm pretty sure they were at the office that night manning the phones mm-hmm. and uh, got to talk to them, got on the mailing list. And a couple of days later, uh, another lady, may have been the same lady, I don't know, uh, another lady called me and read off my local contacts and uh it turned out to be a fellow named jerry sclute who was a house of delegates virginia house of delegates candidate that same year or maybe it was the next year anyway i started getting involved in the newsletter mailing parties um where we would stick labels and stamps on printed uh you know printed newsletters the you know the old dead tree version of the libertarian party (laughs) right and um from there, I, I just kept getting more and more involved. I was involved in the 1984 uh, ballot drive for David Berglund in Virginia. However, we were not successful that time. But during that, uh, that era, the person probably most responsible for my libertarian education was a fellow named James Turney, or Jim Turney. And he would spend, he would literally spend hours answering my questions about, well, how would this work? And how would that work? And how would, you know, so those were those were my two. That's how wow. I got started. Those nice. Ed, Ed Clark and Jim Turney and Jerry Sklut. So you weren't an anarchist from the get go, though. It took you a little while to get there, obviously. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Me too. Me too. That took yeah. It took me like seven years to to make that step over to the ANCAP side, and it was an eye opening experience. I don't know if you experienced the same thing, but it was almost like finding religion for me. You know, it was just like I get it. I mean, I thought the jump to libertarianism was kind of easy. But from that jump from minarchist to ANCAP was like an eye-opening spiritual experience for me. It's like, I see it now. I get it. I get it. And, and it wasn't like a gradual thing. It was like, bam, I get it. It just clicked. Yeah. I don't know. What was it like for you? I would describe it almost exactly the opposite. I lost my religion. Huh. Because mm-hmm. I, I realized that every problem you look at in society there's probably government in the mix there somewhere. So once you lose that religious mindset, the the religion of state mindset that you have, that that you've been indoctrinated with since you were, you know, a baby. Sure. uh, You you realize that the answer to problems is not to exacerbate them with more government. It's to get government out of it and let people do what they will. Yeah, it's rejecting the cult of the omnipotent state. It's beautiful. Badass. Mark, what inspired you and co-founder Susan Hogarth to revive the LPRC? And like, what happened to the original LPRC? Because I heard this is like a revival of the original. Yeah, we, we took the name. I don't, we don't really have much in the way of um, members in common or anything like that. Most of them are long gone, either deceased or they're onto other projects. Like, uh, I think it's, was it Justin Raimondo runs antiwar.com? And I believe he was one of their members back then of the original, one of the one of the versions of the Radical Caucus back in the 80s. Oh, wow. Um, but we, I, I guess the primary motivator was losing the good platform that we had between 2002 and 2004. 
And we wanted to counter that. And if, if we could gather enough people towards that, you know, our radical banner to get back either the complete platform that we used to have or, or a comprehensive platform like we used to have, or at the very least, make the bodlerized version that we had after 2006 better. Okay. And I think for the most part, that's what we've been doing. We've been trying to make the bodlerized platform better. Huh. For instance, it was mostly radicals that were that carried the torch for the death penalty plank that we added in 2016. Nice. Well, like my question, though, what are the some of the platforms that have changed since 2004? I, I can't remember what year you said 2002. I wasn't part 2002. of the yeah 2002. I wasn't part of the party then. But what are what are some of the things that have changed and like what are you guys fighting for now in regards to well, platforms? One of the things that uh, comes to mind is our. Our stance on prohibition has changed quite a bit. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's gotten weaker. Also, our stance on the borders definitely has become much different than it used to be. The comprehensive platforms uh, prior to 2002, 2000, and so on were pretty specifically open borders. Okay. Afterwards, th- they started adding little catchphrases like... Um, no, I'm not, I don't have one in front of me right now. I used to know the platform really well, but I'm getting old. <laughs> you can sum it up. I mean, it doesn't have to be exact. Right. But there's there's statements in there now that where the control of the borders is a function of government. And we have to um, we have to make sure nobody's bringing diseases in and, and, yeah, and that. that sort of things. Okay. I, I could probably look it up in a second, but that's the gist of it. We were we were specifically open borders prior to 2006. Okay. And that has been bodorized quite a bit. And several of the other planks have been. There have been moves on the convention floor to eliminate any language regarding drug prohibition. And I was surprised to see that there was actually support for them. People just don't want to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the exact opposite of the approach that we should be taking. Well, speaking of things that people don't want to talk about, um, I'd like to go the opposite of that and say which radical messaging is taking off, making the most impact, um, uh, uh, having differences. Is there anything out there that you're really proud of about radical messaging? Taxation well, of theft is a big one for me. I, I, yeah, I was about to say that, that was that was almost a revolution because five or six years ago, nobody was saying taxation is theft. No libertarian LP candidates were saying taxation is theft. And a few of us in the radical caucus really started hammering it every opportunity. And then it became a watchword. Now you see people who aren't even libertarians scribbling taxation is theft on their restaurant receipts. Yeah. And and That's doing awesome. the and doing the uh the libertarian tip. Oh yeah. That's another one. Taxation is theft. And is this the, is a gift. Li- libertarian yeah. tip. Yeah. I love it. So where do you think we should be focusing our attention um as as allies? What what do you think we should be tackling next? What should we be saying? Legalize heroin, sex work is work. What is your favorite? Well, there's a large group that already understands that they are being revenue farmed by police. If you will look at some of the messaging that the Black Lives Matter and other similar groups do, I believe that one of the recent manifestos of the Black Lives Matter group was abolish the police. Yeah. Okay. And there have been Black Lives Matter activists calling for abolishing the police. Nice. To me, that's an opportunity. We should be talking to them. Our candidates 
should be appealing to them. They should be meeting with them to say, hey, you know, we're on your side on this issue. Mm -hmm. We don't want police to revenue farm minority communities and keep them down. We want them to, to be left alone, to develop economically and socially, and we want them out of your hair. That's right. That's that's I true. It. I love it too. Mark, really quick, what do you think what did you think of Ron Paul when he came out? Because I mean that inspired a lot of the libertarians that are currently in the party, I believe. But Ron Paul made a really huge impact and him not being a radical per se was very radical. And uh what did what did you have to th- what did you think of his messaging and what did you think of what he did for the LP and the liberty movement in general? You know, Johnny, if if the rhetoric of everyone in the LP who says they're a minarchist or a moderate libertarian were just as radical as Ron Paul's rhetoric. Mm-hmm. I would be really pleased. Mm-hmm. He says some really radical stuff. He's, I mean, he has said straight out taxation is theft. It is. Yeah. It's great. I love um, it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when there were numerous libertarians saying, well, no, we broke these countries. We need, we should stay until we've stabilized, you know, the, 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 yeah pro-war kind of thing. Sure. Or, or pro-endless war kind of thing. Ron Paul was saying in 1988 and in 2008, no, we need to withdraw all of our troops. This is blowback. What we're seeing now, we're seeing blowback. We need to withdraw our troops from everywhere and stop trying to be the policeman of the world. Bam. There are libertarians who won't say that. Yeah. yeah. And he was a Republican. And like, yes. and here's the thing though, like, I mean, I hate to say this, but if we had a candidate, a liberty candidate, I don't care what party they're in. They could be in the Republican, Democratic, Green Party, it doesn't matter. If they were espousing stuff like Ron Paul did and believed that taxation was theft and was holding on to the libertarian core fundamentals and principles, you know what? I would vote for him. I mean, like, sure. I'm not a party guy just because I'm not going to, oh, he's not a real libertarian because he's not in the party. That's, that's just a label. His ideas are pure. He believes in non-aggression. He believes in taxation is theft. He wants everyone to live the lives that they're supposed to live free of government interference. I mean, that to me is important, Mark. And like, that's what I'm saying. Like I I have problems with people who are so dedicated to the party that they lose all their principles in the name of a stupid party. And I don't think, I don't think the party's stupid. I think it's a great, it's a great tool. I think it's a great thing, but I'm not going to sacrifice what I believe because the Libertarian Party takes the party in, in a downward spiral, which I am currently, and like, I don't know what you think about it, but like right now, I feel uh, the current chair is taking things in the opposite matter of what we should be going. He wants to create legislation. He's for positive liberties, positive rights, instead of the negative liberties and negative rights. What's your thought on this, Mark? Well, I haven't heard Nick saying anything uh, suggesting that he's for positive rights. Uh, I could be wrong. I don't really pay much attention to what's going on at national at the moment. <laughs> okay, uh, you know, if if the if the LP started or if libertarian candidates were mostly, you know, winning and then growing government in office, then mm-hmm. I would I would simply not be a libertarian anymore. I would look for something else. Right. Yep. I would too. You know, my, I'm after I'm after chopping down government. I'm after people being allowed to do things that they want to do peacefully. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if my chosen vehicle, if my chosen tool does not accomplish that for me, then I'll go elsewhere. Well, speaking of that, is getting involved with politics more important than things like nullification and agorism, living your liberty? Well, I was going to, those things are fine as long as you promote them. There have been a, 
a lot of people who have touched on the Libertarian Party become members, been active for a few weeks or a few months or a couple of years or something, and then they decide that they're voluntarists or they're agorists and they drop out and they don't vote or anything. The, the issue that I've seen with that, and I've kept in touch with a few of my friends that have, have done so, mm-hmm. is they don't become active agorists. They don't become active voluntarists. They don't write letters. They don't write op-eds. They don't show up to protest. They don't show up to speak for, for freedom when it comes to you know a, a rally or a protest or something. They, they don't do anything. So if they're active, sure, that's fine. Right. I don't have any problem with that. But just dropping out because you've discovered that promoting liberty is hard, I, yes. I, can't, I don't buy that. So use the opportunities that you're creating for education. and Absolutely. Changing. Yes, got it. Cool. Change hearts and minds at all time, no matter what your vehicle is. I agree. Love it. I do too. I love it too. And, and like, that's the thing. I'd rather have a, a libertarian candidate who gets the nomination or uh, supports down ticket candidates rather than trying to win. Because, I mean, the chances of a libertarian presidential candidate is slim to none. I mean, you could you have better chances of winning the lottery. I had a friend named uh, John Buckley in Virginia. Uh-huh. And many years ago, we were at the state, one of the state conventions in Virginia. And he was asked by one of the convention goers who was, uh, you know, a minarchist. They didn't want us to say anything about prohibition. They didn't want us to say anything about private roads. He had, a, he had a number of problems with some of the things that were in our platform. And he straight up asked Buckley, who was at the time our chair, do you think we should moderate our stance on this or that issue? And I will always remember it because this is this one thing that he said has kind of stuck with me ever since. Buckley just said, well, you're not going to win. Those are his exact words. Mm-hmm. And it pointed out to me the folly of thinking that you're going to run, having un- unrealistic expectations, thinking that you're going to win, and then at the same time, short-selling your, uh, your actual ideas. Exactly. Because, because when you do that, you lose those people that are thinking those thoughts in the back of their minds. If they don't hear them from us, who are they going to hear them from? That's right. That's right. And when they don't hear it coming from somebody... When are they going to get the gumption up to say them themselves? Right. Exactly, exactly. And it's about education. I mean, to me, yes. if, if 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 you have an inspirational candidate out there who is going out there and actually winning hearts and minds, you know, like Harry Brown. Harry Brown was a, a great example of a principled libertarian, and he went out there and said the message. And guess what? He gained a lot more libertarians because of him. More true libertarians who are out there spreading liberty than ever before. Ron Paul did the same thing, created libertarians who are spreading the ideas and concepts of libertarianism, which is really important to me. I'd rather have that than somebody soft selling the message, lying and winning the office from the off chance of in hell that it would happen. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's not yeah. going to happen, but I'd rather have somebody out there saying, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to fight for. And this is what you should have. You should have these, these liberties, these rights, and you should live free. I would rather have one person who is deeply inspired, who joins the party, gets enrolled, becomes active in, in spreading the word mm-hmm. and helps, helps the push right for, for decades mm-hmm. than 4%. Yeah. Which is what we got. Which is what we got with with Gary. Yeah, Polly Frankel is one of those folks who was brought in by Harry Brown, and you know it, something in that message that Harry presented touched something that Polly was thinking, and he was he he's been involved ever since. He's a, he's a star petitioner. He's uh, been a solid radical libertarian for a long time, 
and he's one of the co-founders of the caucus. I mean, if if you think about it, Mark, how many people have you heard saying, you know what? The words of Gary Johnson and Bill Weld have inspired me <laughs> to become a libertarian, and I feel just inspired by, well, yeah. we're just fiscally conservative and socially liberal. You know, like, well, it was just a better alternative every, to Trump. That was it. Yeah, it, it that's was, right. That, every every yeah. once in a while, I'm, I'm sure those people exist. I don't know. I'm man. sure those, I'm, I'm that's sure pretty they sad. Exist. Oh, that's but, pretty sad. But what it is, but what it is, what is it that they're thinking? Oh, we know. need a fair tax. Oh, we need a fair tax. We need yeah. to go chase Coney through the jungle. Oh, oh my God. We, we need to have an enemies list. Well, you know, I guess at one point I could, I can kind of see their ideas. I, I think it's, uh, it's repulsive now, but I, I can kind of see where they were coming from or maybe they're coming from like, Hey, why don't we kind of do it incrementally? It's like, okay, a fair tax is better than the income tax we have now. And I can attest to that. Maybe it is, but taxation in itself. Why are we still talking about taxation? Taxation is wrong altogether. Let's like get to the morality of it, the root of it, the radicalism yeah. of it. Why don't yeah. we say yeah. taxes? Taxes are wrong through theft. If I do it, it's illegal. If you do it, it's okay. That's what we should be analyzing and looking at things with. That's that's my opinion. The fundamental fallacy of things like fair taxes or trading one tax for the other right. is mm-hmm. that you will end up with both. both. That's yep. right. You'll you end up with end both. Up yeah. with yep. both. Yep. That's right. Yep. Never happens. There's, there's I keep hearing I keep hearing people that are in favor of the fair tax saying, Well, it can only be passed if the uh, if the income tax is repealed. Well, uh, no, because when it goes through Congress there are these things called amendments that members can bring up. And even if we had a good, solid majority in Congress, which mm-hmm. is a pipe dream at this point, right? Um, there are still going to be weaselly, waggling libertarians who are, who are going to be among them. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be those people that are going to let those amendments pass. And one of those amendments is going to be the deletion of the section that says once the income tax is abolished then dot 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 exactly i'm with you anyways though this is johnny rocket here at blast off i'm here with my ray of truth mitts Raylene lightheart and we're talking to mark montoni we're not done with you yet sir we have rocket fire coming up so guys stick around we're going to be right back rock and roll <laughs> this is great hey Raylene, i'm gonna head out and get some beer hey, what are oh, you guys like doing Ooh. in here alone oh cute what's, what's going on what are you guys hiding come on fess up well we're just looking at my new calendar it's a libertarian dad bods calendar it is enlightening wait a minute did you just say a libertarian dad bods calendar really i've actually never been so excited for july in my life <laughs> are you kidding me i mean come on natural rights natural bodies and all this liberty Everyone should be excited about this calendar. Wait a minute. Why am I not in this thing? Don't be jealous, Johnny. Besides, you're a shoe-in for next year. Yeah, hashtag Johnny Rocket Dad Bod 2020. Okay, girls, well, I better keep training. I might need some inspiration. Got you covered, Johnny. Don't worry. You can get your own at sclp.org forward slash store. That's sclp.org forward slash store to get your very own Libertarian Dad Bods calendar for 2019. Inflammatory. Uncalled for. Outrageously offensive. Ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Rockets Two Minute Hate Speech. Hate Speech. Johnny Rockets. Cover your ears. This is Johnny Rocket's two-minute hate speech. 
sometimes longer. Johnny Rocket's two-minute hate speech ban at the border. The headlines read, Trump's holiday message to Democrats, government shutdown will last until we have a wall. According to Fox News, Democrats remain opposed to approving additional funding for a border wall as part of a new government spending package. Using taxpayer dollars to erect a wall on the U.S.-Mexico border is nothing less than stealing from the American citizens to build a towering monument to our collective stupidity. Consider, the largest group of undocumented workers are not those that actually illegally entered the country at the border. They're workers who stayed here after their visas expired. Second, thanks to prohibition, gun control, and labor laws, there's a high market demand for undocumented workers, narcotics, and firearms. Where there's demand, supply finds a way to fill it, wall or not. Third, a wall will do little to improve the security of the United States. Like a gated community, it's a false sense of security. The U.S.-Mexico border is merely one of the long list of ways in which somebody can enter our country illegally. And that doesn't include parachuting Red Dawn's down in the middle of the country. The greatest harm inflicted on our nation by non-citizens, the attacks on the World Trade Center, was perpetrated by Saudis who entered our country legally. Finally, what impact will this have on private landowners who live on the border? In order to erect a wall, the government will have to claim eminent domain, which is a violation of their property rights. Is there validity to the concern about illegal immigration? Absolutely. At first glance, immigrants seem less likely than native-born Americans to use the welfare programs because of their illegal status and the desire to remain under the radar. But that's only a sliver of the entire story. Illegal immigrants can still benefit from public education, emergency medical care, and those who choose to use their false identities or go through their native-born children. If they are caught or commit additional crimes, the taxpayer pays to have them arrested, detained, deported, or incarcerated. According to FairUs.org, the annual net cost of illegal immigrants to the American taxpayer is likely to be around $45 billion. Of course, we're angry at being built out of our hard-earned money to pay for the lifestyles and needs of those who do not contribute. If at all, only a small portion of the overall cost through their labor, what we're forgetting in our justifiable frustration is what the real issue is. And the issue is, and has always been, government. Government policies such as the drug war, welfare, minimum wage, labor laws, and the insistence of keeping public lands incentivizes illegal immigration and it makes it our collective problem. If we ended the war on drugs, the welfare state got the government out of the marketplace and privatized the land, the incentive would be extinguished and the decision would be put back in the hands of every individual who owns land along the border. Privatize the land and let property owners decide who comes in and who stays. If the landowner wants to build a wall, let him pay for it and let him protect his own property. As Jeff Dice, president of the Mises Institute, said so eloquently, the thorny issue of immigration rife with the very real externalities and distorted by public property calls for market order. There is a market for immigration just as there is a market for security. Open border advocates ignore the in-group. Every human has a natural right to control his body and movement. No human should be falsely imprisoned, enslaved, or held in place against his will. But the right to leave a physical place is different than the right to enter one. Entry should be denied or permitted by the rightful owner of the property in question. But when the vast areas of land are controlled or owned by the government, the question becomes more complex. And the only way to make it less complex is to privatize such land. Unless and until this happens, it's oversimplified for libertarians to simply insist that everyone has a right to go wherever they wish. For libertarians, it's easy to commemorate the promise of a government closure. Unfortunately, even if the threat takes place, the sad reality is the government shutdown is not and has never been anything more than a tactic designed to generate public outcry that allows the government to grow itself by stealing even more of our money to pay for programs to squash our outrage. 
A government shutdown is a good thing. Let them rattle their sabers and try to call each other's bluff. The longer it's shut down, the more apparent it will become how completely frivolous, foolish, and fraudulent it is. Maybe then we'll finally understand that we don't need them to protect our borders. And for those of you who are missing the point and are still pissed at immigrants, I got something to say to you. If you think people should come by proper channels, I just hope you weren't cesarean. The Libertarian Party Radical Caucus. Hey, hey, hi, all. Mark, thank you so much for being here, man. We're having a great time. Good stuff. I mean, I really enjoy our conversation regarding the party, Radical Caucus, fundamental libertarian ideas. I think this is really cool, and I think it's really important that a lot of people get this information, especially from the horse's mouth himself. Mr. Mark Montoni. And uh, Mark, what we do here on the second segment, is called Rocket Fire. Rocket what we do on Rocket Fire, Fire. sirs, I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically related. And if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. Mark, are you ready to play Rocket Fire? Rocket Fire. I suppose. Let's go. All right. Question one. Our radicalism and pragmatism, as defined by the respective caucuses and the LP, mutually exclusive, or can you have both? In some ways, they are mutually exclusive. In other ways, we have the same goals in mind. Libertarians are all on a bus, and I guess uh, radicals want to get off get off the bus at the end of the road. Uh-huh. Pragmatists want to get off the bus a little bit earlier than that. Right on, right on. Question two. What is the most status thing about you? <laughs> Come on, because we all got that thing. We all got a status thing. I'm telling you, man, you can ask the hardest of the hardest core libertarians, and they have a status thing. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I wish you'd given me these questions in advance. <laughs> um, most status thing is uh, I fall prey every once in a while to the damn it, there ought to be a law thing. Oh, uh, really? Okay. Yes. And and uh, it, it, I have to catch myself doing it, but I can't give you an example right now, but I do have that. Okay. That basic reaction that a lot of people have. Interesting. Okay, cool. All right. Question three. How is economics related to politics and should they be related? I wish they weren't related. Um, Economics is uh, currently controlled by politics, unfortunately, which is why we have either things that you're mandated to do economically or prohibited from doing economically. So we would, libertarians would love to divorce the two. Okay, right on. Question four. Is radicalism synonymous with anarchy? And can individuals be both advocates for smaller government, minarchists, and be radical? Yes, we do have some, uh, we, we do have minarchists and radicals and anarchists in the radical caucus. It all depends on where your line is drawn. Minarchist radical libertarians would take the government back to a very small subset of what it is now. We're saying one or two or three percent, perhaps, Uh whereas anarchists would get rid of all of it. Right on. Right on. Question five. What, in your opinion, is the best way for a candidate to handle some of the grayer parts of the non-aggression principle where one could argue both sides of an issue while still remaining philosophically consistent with the non-aggression principle, i.e. abortion? Well, one of the things you should do as a candidate is to mention the party's position, uh, failing that, or uh, after that, say that some libertarians are in favor of 
recognizing life at conception. Other libertarians are in favor of recognizing only the woman's right to choose and then give your personal opinion. Okay. Because what, what we want to do, what a candidate should do is, is acknowledge that there, there is not uniformity of opinion within the Libertarian Party. Right on. Question six. Is adherence to the non-aggression principle a prerequisite for being a radical? And what about the adherence to the statement of principles? It is a prerequisite for being a radical. You can't violate the statement of principles. You can't violate the pledge and still be a radical libertarian or even a libertarian, really. Okay. If you have if you have a few areas where you disagree that uh, something falls afoul of the, the non-aggression principle or the statement of principles, then maybe you should think about that that issue a little bit further. That's a good point. I wish a lot of libertarians didn't join because they should they should read that non-aggression principle before they sign it. Question seven. What is your opinion on non-voting anarchists? Do you agree with them that voting is aggression and it, and it gives the credibility to the state? Or do you agree with Lysander Spooner that it's a defensive measure? I agree with with Lysander Spooner. Um, it is an, aggress- an act of aggression. Unfortunately, it's an act of aggression which exists with or without us. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a valid form of self-defense. I'm with you on that, man. 100%. Question eight. Is taking government money ever okay? Would radicals support taking welfare money and food stamps even if they wish to eliminate it? That's a good question because I know some libertarians have uh, fallen into difficulty and have had to or felt they had to take that. Personally, I would never mm-hmm. if I had the choice, I, but I would not mandate that choice for someone else. You do what you have to do to survive. Sometimes that, makes, that means making uh, unpleasant choices. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Question nine. Some members of the Radical Caucus have sympathy or, or agreement with the socialist cause. Do you believe the collectivist mindset of socialism is compatible with the libertarian ideology and movement that champions the individual? If you live on a commune that owns its property, then those individuals have the right to live the way they choose. If they want to set their commune up in a socialist manner or in a communist manner, that's their right. That can coexist within a libertarian society. A libertarian society, however, cannot coexist in a socialist society. That's right. That's true. Question 10. Is there any policy that the libertarian currently holds that you would like to change? I would say that we need to address our position on borders better. Okay. There are other things that come to mind, too, but I think that's, uh, I think that's a hot issue right now. I think it has people's attention, and I think we, we should be promoting the consistent libertarian idea on immigration and emigration. Right on. Bonus question. What do you think of Trump issuing an executive order freezing federal workers' pay in 2019, which nixes the 2.1% across the board raise, the 2.1% across the board raise? What do you think of that? Well, I don't think there should be any federal employees. So. Bam. Okay, that was it. That was an easy question. <laughs> Bam, that's so Rocket Flower. Cool. Give it up for Mark Bontoni. Very good. Thank you. Very Bam. good. Easy peasy, right? That wasn't too bad, right? That wasn't too bad. No, I guess not. Okay, anyways, this is Johnny Rocket. Always launching ideas. I'm here with Ray of Truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart. Having a great time. We're having a great time, and we're going to take a quick commercial break. So stick around. We'll be right back. Rock and roll. 
Libertarians is a children's media company for children's ages 0 through 7. Our stories teach the foundational principles that underlie libertarianism and relate them in a manner that even the youngest children can understand and enjoy. Little Libertarians was founded by attorney and libertarian activist Dory Goikman. We teach the basics of self-ownership, non-aggression, and property rights to babies, toddlers, and young kids. Use coupon code ROCKET, R-O-C-K-E-T, for 40% off of Little Libertarian products at www.littlelibertarians.com. Again, that's www.littlelibertarians.com. Rocket fire. Great job on that, sir. Anyway, so Raylene, take it away. Mark. Yes. Most I like, I, like the po- I got a joke about that. Mark, comma. Mark. I love I love the pause. Mark. Yeah. This is where I'm getting serious because I'm very excited to talk to you and yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to get serious. Okay. No, I actually just wanted to ask you, um, a lot of libertarians that we talk to seem to kind of have a, a pet project or a certain topic that they really identify with and ha- kind of becomes their passion. And I was wondering if you have a passion project or a specific part of liberty that, you know, in the umbrella of libertarianism that is really important to you. Some uh, is like drug legalization, some is sex right. work, some is. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think probably the, um, the second amendment is probably my big one. That's a good Thanks. one. I can get by. I like, I'm all about sex work. That's wait, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, never mind. Johnny's the gigolo. Johnny Johnny Rocket the gigolo. That's right. I have I have to make pimping ain't easy. You got the first two letters of that S E. You know, second sex worker. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Make, exactly. Yeah, I, I see where you're going with that. Yeah. Every sex worker should have a gun. That's all. I That's have absolutely right. Self defense. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> all right. In 2016, the Libertarian Party Radical Caucus endorsed Daryl W. Perry for POTUS. With all things being equal, had he received the nomination for the party with the whole national convention, do you think his ticket would have performed better, worse, or about the same as Gary Johnson? Just your opinion on that. Depends on what you call better or worse. Let's just say numbers. Numbers-wise, he he wouldn't have been able to match Gary's per- percentages because, uh, for one thing, the, let's call them mainstreamer half of the party would not donate. They would not go out and get signatures. They would not, they would basically walk away for the year. Okay. Uh, if not, if not permanently, I've seen that happen before. Okay. As far as it, I, see, part of this depends on how you define success. I define success as recruiting a bunch more libertarians. Mm-hmm. I will gladly trade. Uh, what did Gary get? Six million votes. Yeah. Ten million votes. Something. Like, okay. I will. I would gladly trade six million votes, which did not win us anything except six million votes, for. 50,000 new, energized, energetic, convinced, consistent libertarians into the party and donating and running for office next year. I would happily make that trade. Mm-hmm. Right? We've been stuck at 20,000 members or, or thereabouts for the last 40 years of our existence. It's time to break out, and we need to do something different to break out. Gary was not it. Well, so I have a, I kind of have this running theory in my brain that I, I can't quite put together exactly, but here it is. So 
I feel like there's two kinds of libertarians and one of them sticks around and usually becomes more principled. And it's, there's the kind of people that come to the party because they agree with a lot of what we say or parts of the platform, maybe even one or two issues. And then we have other libertarians that are in it for the spirit of self-ownership. They understand that one self-ownership, that, that direct understanding of I own myself. And then it seems like they kind of can apply that to the rest of the platform and then kind of work through them. And a lot of people that come for one or two issues just refuse to or don't ever end up agreeing with what we actually believe in. Do you think there's a difference between the people that we're recruiting and why well, some a, seem to take question. to it more than others? That was Thank a you. very, very good. I was inspired, really. Actually, it was a really <laughs> good question. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Mark. Uh, that's all right. I, I'm sitting here trying to mull that over. I, I'd probably have to hear that again a couple of times, but... I can I can phrase it in a question for you that's easier. Is it harder to work with and teach libertarians who come to the party through specific issues or harder to work with those who come for the principles of self-ownership? I would have a hard time quantifying that because I've I've recruited people into the party that means you know actually collecting their membership and sending mm-hmm. it into national. Uh, I've, I've recruited something like 1200 people and Looking back and trying to apply that question to them, I don't think I don't think I could answer that. I, I do think that the more in agreement someone is, the more likely they are to stick around for the long term. I'm not really interested so much in uh, the people that are going to vote for us this year. I'm interested more in the people who are going to show up at the next convention. I'm interested in those people that are going to run for office next year mm-hmm. and so on, because that's what we're about. I've kind of noticed that there's a little bit of a difference with some people want to change the party to where they disagree with the platform. Right. And the people that are there for the self-ownership seem to kind of be more flexible because they start to get radicalized, honestly, by people in your caucus. Honestly, they seem to get deeper and deeper understanding of libertarianism. Mm -hmm. I I guess what I've seen it myself. And like, I think what she's trying to say is like, there's those people who come into the party who are like pro second amendment and uh, weed but, or something and pro drugs and nothing else and yeah. nothing really else and everything else to them they're still very status on and they're just running on two issues and to me it's like yeah but they're not gonna those are the people who normally don't try to stay or who, who don't stay in the party that's what i was saying yeah where the people who come into the party really liking the ideas the fundamental ideas behind libertarianism those are the people who actually are in for the long haul and i see what you're saying Raylene, because those people who have the like one or two issue they want to join the party and then they want to change everything else right. about the party to their specific mold of Republican, well, Democrat, or whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that the I'm not sure that the long term part really applies though. I'll give you an example. Bill Redpath has been on the uh, Libertarian National Committee for, for ages. Uh-huh. And he's run he's run for governor, he's run for senator, he's run for House of Delegates and State Senate, I believe, all in Virginia. Great guy. I love him. He's been my friend since uh, I first met him in 1987. But he's got some big differences with the LP. I mean, he's or, or from a, a plumb line version of the LP. Right. For instance, he's in favor of uh, government support to colleges. He's also uh, in favor of government or uh, school vouchers, which is basically, you know, government welfare for people with kids to go to school with. Exactly. But now you have a choice. <laughs> and he's right. Yeah. And, and he's also not particularly conversant on Second Amendment issues, to put it lightly. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, for instance, he favor he favors uh, registration. Oh my god! Mm. Um, okay, this is not good. Yeah, and there's there's a number of other issues. In other words, one of one of the other ones that I I seem to recall from his run for governor was uh, that he was suggesting a or maybe it was his run for senate. He was suggesting a ten percent flat tax. And and once again, that just gets back to my well. You yeah. for the flat tax <laughs> plus the tax ass. plus the sales tax. And yeah, yeah. Here we go. yeah. I'm rabbit hole. So uh, yeah, it, it, but he's been around since 1987, not long after I got involved. Wow. So. I'm not sure that the, the the time part of that equation really adds up. Yeah, I could say maybe not the time portion because there are some people that have been in the party as long as I have. Yeah. Since what? Three or four, five years now. And they're, and they're still they're the changed. same. No, they're they not, though. Changed. They haven't changed. No growth. No growth whatsoever. They're still the same person. You're yes. like, read Murray. Oh, okay. And then they never read Murray. And I'm like, okay, yeah. apparently you're not getting this, right? So, like, <laughs> I mean, and yeah. like, and sometimes you'll see him walking around with the book, and I'd be like, well, you can't get it through osmosis. You got to read it. it. Like, you're walking around with it. <laughs> Wait a minute, you, you can't. That's the only way I read anything anymore. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing, though. Okay, so there was a thing in 2016, and then you guys got a lot of flack for it. It was with James Weeks. All right, him doing the stripping thing. Oh, the strip teasing. All right, now, now he was part of the Radical Caucus, and a lot of people were upset by it. And I, you know what? I'll tell you the truth. At the time, I wasn't really upset about it, but at the same time, it's like, mm, yeah, it's not really helping. I don't think it helped. I mean, what, what's your what's your thoughts on it? I mean, did you think it was funny? I don't know. Like, what, what was your take on it? Well, as it, as it turns out, I was out of the room for like 10 minutes that day. <laughs> And the one the one stretch of ten minutes that I was out of the room was when he did that. <laughs> oh, lucky so, you! <laughs> so I couldn't I could not be there. Okay, but you know I saw the video. God, did I? You know, never mind. And people were talking about it for a long time afterwards. But the the, the reality is that once the little bit of mainstream media was had given him his fifteen minutes of fame. Uh huh. They forgot the entire thing. The only people who still bring that up are libertarians. Right. Yeah. That's true. So we we took we took some measures against uh, against them and threw them out. And you know he wasn't welcome. He wasn't welcome around us anymore because that's not what the convention floor is for. We we at least I looked at it as a a betrayal of contract. Yeah, I do. T- you know, I would be pissed too. I mean, th- to be honest, it's like I brought this up to Raylene and I've had these conversations with her. And I said, you know what? It would be totally acceptable if the Libertarian Party in itself or a state party or whatever said, hey, when we are doing a, a convention or a meeting or whatever, there's going to be a dress code. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a private organization. You can make your own rules. Like, yeah, if, I don't know. I don't know. I think, it, I think it's a good idea. I mean, I've, I, done, that with, I've done that with some of the, uh, the LPBA conventions that I organized back in the uh, 1990s and 2000s. I, I I did. I can't make a. I can't force a dress code on anybody, but oh. I would put at the bottom of the in, the invitation, you know, dress to impress. There may be media there or something like that. Right. For the most part, people did so. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm not saying. Well, I I think you could though if it's a private organization. Can you not say, hey, you know, you got to wear, you know, a business can do it. That would involve a bylaws change. Also, imagine there's a lot of people who are spending every penny to get to convention and if they can't afford something 
um, a little pricier to wear. Then we sort of get into a kind of a snobbery thing. There is something nice about uh, libertarians being individuals. So I welcome the star childs. I mean, stripping anybody, stripping, it doesn't matter man, woman, what shape or size they are. That's unacceptable Johnny, in my opinion. Johnny, have you ever, have you ever been to a DU or an R convention? Uh, Democrat I have, or actually, I, uh, I have, I have not. No, I have not, sir. You should. Is it the same thing or worse? If, if, if well, I don't know if I can, I haven't heard the last uh, time a, a Democrat or Republican candidate for chair stripped on stage at one of them, but I'm sure similar things have happened. You just don't hear about it because the media doesn't cover it because it makes, it makes their supporters look bad. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Right. Yeah. You know, they, they're not going to, they're not going to cover that because they think it's ridiculous. But I mean, look at. They have their embarrassments too. Uh, I'm not going to say this is an embarrassment, but if you look at uh, George W. Any, Bush, yeah, yeah, any <laughs> any Wisconsin Democrat or Republican uh, convention, you will see in the TV coverage. You, and you can find some of these on on YouTube. And right. I just know this because I I saw this uh, a few years back. Sure. You'll see people walking around in jeans and t-shirt and with one of those big uh, foam plastic uh, sure. jeans cheesehead hats sure mm-hmm. yeah, yeah walking yeah. around that convention because that's the thing that's your cheesehead that's right I, i'm from i'm originally from illinois <laughs> illinois bastards i know <laughs> so so james james weeks was our cheesehead yeah <laughs> <laughs> there you go that's a good way of putting it i like it i do i do like it a lot go ahead well we, we we could be like we could be like um oh i don't know uh Back in, I think it was 1978 or something, a, uh, I think it was a Republican involved in the Pennsylvania state government held a press conference and then blew his brains out. Our Bud Dwyer, look him up sometime. Huh. Blew his brains out in front of the television screens and a whole bunch of people got a full shot of it because back then, you know, what you saw on television might have been completely live. No, no delay or nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No five or second so, delay. But, yeah. Everybody has their cheese head and everybody has their R. Bud Dwyer. Wow. Yeah, I guess well, that's true. So, so I want to talk about something that's kind of exciting. Um, the LP has quite a few radicals running for presidential candidate nominee. There, I think there are like six, right? What are your thoughts? And is this usual? Thinking back through all the conventions that I've been to, there's always been at least one who one candidate who is fairly radical. Okay. It is unusual to have more than one. I think that both Arvin and Kim are extremely well-spoken individuals and very good presenters. And I think either of them would do well as the uh, the presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. So I wish them well. Right on. Uh, who are the two people? Because I don't. I, I know Arvin. Um, who's is it Kim Ar- Ruff and Arvin Bora? Yeah. Oh. Okay, I have to check out Kim Roth. I haven't heard of her. Of her. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was just, I'm being a <laughs> uh, Anyways, uh, Mark, thank you so much. And uh, Raylene, prepare for landing. Oh, roger that, Johnny. Seatbelts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders. NAP initiated. Anti-state superchargers. Defragged and woke. Landing lights and guest websites. Mark Montoni, give us your dot com, sir. Uh, let's see. It's www.lp, the letters LP, and then spell out radicalcaucus.org. LPRadicalCaucus.org. Anyway, so, sir, thank you so much for being here on the show. And uh, again, if you guys subscribe to our Patreon 
at supportblastoff.com. Again, that's supportblastoff.com. You can hear the rest of this interview with me, Miss Raylene Lightheart, and Mr. Mark Montoni. So again, check out supportblastoff.com. Raylene, you got anything else? Oh, that's it. And if you give $2, then you get to have access to a whole nother show on top of that. Oh, so that's right. And it's, into it. it's a good show. What is it called? It's called The All-Nighter. Oh, John Rocket right. and Raylene Lightheart. And what do we do in The All-Nighter? Talk and sometimes talk about porn. There we go. Anyways, so, <laughs> check us out at supportblastoff.com and also check us out at blastoffshow.com. Anyways, so, uh, again, thank you, Mark, very much. And we'll do the after party. So rock and roll, guys, and we'll see you next week.